0: So I've started running again, and uh, this last Monday, you remember this last Monday, Saturday night into Monday morning, like, like, so at any rate, so I get up, right, and it's still dark, and the first thing I do is I put on my hat, actually, that's not the first thing I do, but that's the first thing that I put on my head, and then, so I have a hat with Timberwood Church, 12-1-2019, who has one of these? Yeah, Jesus loves you more than everyone else in the room. That's an old joke that never, it's all a punchline that fits in the drum. Patagonia, this is probably my oldest piece of gear. Uh, some of you have seen it before. It's a gaiter for my neck. So I have this, I have this on. Then I have two thin wool t-shirts, okay, and then um, a pair of thin wool socks. These were given to me by Anna. Both the t-shirts and the shop. socks were shopped at the uh, shop behind the red door in uh, Nisswa. Um, this one is a little irreverent. It has a uh, skunk, and I thought this was super funny. That's a skunk smoking a J. (laughs) At any rate, okay, and then what else we got? Okay, I have compression shorts, and then a pair of sport hills, okay, and then a pair of uh, bounce Adidas. All three of those were sourced at Martin's, and then um, on the top half, we have this thin uh, craft, uh, like, wind shirt, slide vents, um, a pair of ragwool gloves, and then... uh, I never used to wear these. I thought they were stupid. Now as I've gotten older, I'm thinking, hey, be stupid and alive. So at any rate, okay, so you remember the morning, right? Okay, it was, it was, and I didn't realize how cold it was, but it was cold. And usually I get outside and I'm like, okay, it's cold, but I'm going to get warmed up. And about a half mile down the road, I'm like, I'm not going to be warm until I get back inside. Page 808, not a lot of clothes for a sub-zero AM run. Don't want to get run over. Page 808. We've already said it once before. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Obvious, the context is the wise guys. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, back one page, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod the king, behold, the wise guys from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? It's the final clue, the star, It presupposes that they've been looking for something, right? It presupposes that they have been seeking something. It presupposes that they're curious enough to want answers that may not be easy to find. And we have this sense of effort, okay? We have this sense of pursuit. We have this sense of, I want to see this thing. Are they looking for something that they know about? Are they intellectually curious? Are they looking for something they don't know about, and it's a bit of a mystery? What we don't know about the wise guys is who they are. They could have been from Persia or other parts east, unlikely that they came from Sicily. What we do know is that they have a working knowledge, not only of the heavens and of science, but of the scriptures. It's an interesting combination, right? And often we've played these two things as against each other, but really they're not. The science and scriptures fit together very neatly. Likely they had a working knowledge of many holy books. This was a group of folks who liked to read, who liked to embrace ministry. I'm a little bit too warm. I wish I had been warm on Monday. And then adventure, right? Because they're on this quest. And we don't know whether this is the first time they've engaged in a quest or the tenth time that they've engaged in a quest. What they know has been lost to history. We don't know what they read. We don't know what they knew. Was it common knowledge among wise guys of that day that stars of this nature were special? stars that appeared in the space that they hadn't been before it's like when you walk into your room okay and one little thing is out of place and you're like oh wait a second someone's been in here what's going on someone else walks into the room and they're like oh it's no big deal it's just a messy room and you're like no no this isn't how i left it no the mess was there before but the one thing is they instantly recognize something is different in the heavens The star itself, all sorts of explanations, right? Was it a real star? Was it a light? Was it a cosmic flashlight? A God created billboard blasting out the astronomical equivalent of the baby is here with an arrow? And while I would be quick to affirm the wise guys were real, the light was real, the larger issue for me, even for them, was do we seek the king of the Jews? Do we worship Jesus? Verse 2 says he's born king. Not born and will become king, but he is born king. These wise guys are committed to seeking, to understanding, to verify. And to be sure, many of us in this room are in that exact same space. We come to this space to seek, to, to, to understand, to put answers into slots of questions that we have had. And, and we come looking for something. I find it's best when it's a daily pursuit. So often we want to put matters of faith, like at point in time, and then if best, we put them in the past. Like, like I remember the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, okay? well, oh, g- great. No, that's good. That's super important. Don't get me wrong. But what about today? Do we seek Christ today? I come into this room with many of my friends and we are seeking this daily pursuit. Today I want to seek the Savior. Today I want my life to be influenced by his. Today I want to discover the joy that comes when I do just that. The final clue, the star, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. The only response, really, right? You travel days by camel or donkey, astonished that this star is still guiding you, hoping clouds pass through that it appears again, hoping that after you've intersected with the leader of the area, it will be there, and it is and you think about all that it will point to, you know it's going to be something small. You know it's going to be a child. What's interesting in the story, okay, among many things, is how these group of wise guys from an area outside of the geographic region of where the king of the Jews lives get it. They get it. They get that Jesus is something special. And the people who were closest to the birth were the furthest away. Herod, the Jewish leadership of the day, the chief priests, the scribes, the religious intelligentsia, they all miss it. They should know the source material better than these wise guys. They see the child and they fall down. They hit the deck. They worshipped him. Hearts, minds, the soul located in the correct space, uh, demanding the physical posture. They don't have a choice, right? You could say they have a choice, but they really don't have a choice. I mean, when you're confronted with that, at at the end of a quest, there's this genuine, mysterious, rooted in reality, transcending human experience, moving beyond intellect, I think it's what happens when you are around someone who is truly amazing. Even some mortals possess this ability to take the air out of the room, get in proximity to someone who might be your hero. And literally, they can take your breath away, they can take the air out of your sails. Not exactly the right metaphor. They take the air out of the space. You're so overwhelmed because something. And the only response is a physical response, a posture, because you're in the presence of greatness. It's what the wise guys experienced. And this sense, this pervasive sense of great joy. Early in the life of Timberwood Church, we said one of the key things that we wanted to be about was having fun. Having fun doesn't play well in a purpose statement, okay? And so we changed it to celebrating. And the reason why we celebrate, okay, is this pervasive sense of joy that because of Jesus Christ, we have the most extraordinary relationship at our fingertips, And so, what we want to feel when we walk into this space, when we bump into each other, more than anything else, is this pervasive sense of joy because we are on the same quest that the wise guys were on, and we've realized that that quest ends with the Christ. This pervasive sense of great joy. How could you not? How could you not absolutely be smiling on your face when you come to the realization that we have a relationship with the most extraordinary being in the world who holds the hope and promise of a relationship with not only each other, but with the Creator, the Father, the Word, the Spirit? How could we not have this pervasive sense of joy? That, that place where we only have to know a few things and all of them are true, and that the heart and the, and the mind and the soul is at peace while my body does its thing, we see hints of this all over our world, little bits of glimpses of what joy means and what joy is like. And you might argue these are not examples of joy, but I think they come very close to describing. We want to think of joy, and we think of it in terms of something like, well, when I was growing up, you know, in Sunday school you're taught joy, Jesus, others, yourself. Okay, woo, that's the key to joy. Okay, whatever, that didn't work for me. And then we think of joy in terms of happiness, right? Oh, we should be happy, you know, and if I'm, if I'm happy and life is well, well-ordered and I have all that I need, that I have joy. But then I think, well, what about the Christian in Haiti who still is expressing joy but doesn't have a fraction of what I have? So I think there are examples of joy all over the place. Because we have done or are doing the hard work necessary to realize what's important and having that be enough. Take the physician in an operating suite, self-focused. So the, the, the world is silent except for the task before them. How about the retailer on, a, on an especially busy Christmas season day? with product and customers and the Christmas rush. The master craftsman in a workshop wh- wh- where they are absolutely focused on the task and, and watch as the wood grain pops out as they craft a piece of rough wood into a thing of beauty. The baker in a kitchen. Have you ever watched someone bake or cook in a kitchen and they get to the point where it's the finished product and they taste it and their eyes, and they're like, it's good. It, it's really good. And they're like, yeah, it's really good. The mountain biker, okay, riding a single track line, okay, super, super dicey. All of their focus, all of their attention, okay, riding that line. Sitting on the ice, focused on the bobber, feeling the weight of the line, okay? All of your focus, all of your intention, the cool of the spear in your hand, waiting, the race car driver. Do you see um, Formula One, okay, is going to conclude today, but although it could be concluded before it even starts, right? Because you have this character named, what's the one, Hamilton and Verstappen, someone help me? Verstappen? Okay, so here's the deal. So if neither of them finish, Verstappen, Verstappen? Verstappen wins. So the argument would be, okay, if I'm Verstappen, do I just crash both of us at the beginning? (laughs) I mean, it's really, you could think of it that way, right? But the race car driver driving that line, so focused. The student in the exam room, all of these, right? All of these. So focused, so dialed, so completely convinced that nothing else matters. The world could be burning down or burning up. I read two separate articles in the Times this last week. One is called The Quiet Brain of the Athlete, and the other, On Wintry Runs, Finding a Room of My Own. The second, by Caitlin Shetterly, Talks about how after her husband takes her 10 year old and 4 year old to school, she lives in Maine. She pulls on two pairs of running pants, two old knotted wool hats, two thin jackets, a thick pair of mittens, fat face in shea butter, and then she goes out into the weather. A friend saw her. What kind of idiot goes running in this? Oh, that idiot. She says, though I am slow, I run if my life depends on it, because it does with two children, the younger one in preschool, only two mornings a week. I have almost no time or space for myself. But when I'm running, I find a room of my own. In the wind and bright sun, in the crackling ice echoing through the salt marsh, in the flight of the blue heron up above, in the scratch of the ratty running shoes on the sandy, icy shoulder of the road, I am free. The joy that the wise guys experience isn't because they're happy, although they are happy. The joy that they experience isn't that they are well healed, although probably to undergo an adventure like this, they had more than enough financial resources to do the job. The reason why they experience joy is because they are single mindedly focused on the one thing that matters, the one thing for which their entire life is worth placing on pause. And they experience joy because they found the child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They wanted this. They pursued this. And when it arrived, it was all that mattered. Yesterday morning, we're eating breakfast, okay, and obviously the house is quieter, and, um, and, um, but, but the sun was shining. You remember Sunday, Yesterday. And, and the way that, that, that are this room, okay, I call it Beverly's Room because after my mom died and we like, sold the last like, little piece of property that my parents had, I took the proceeds from the sale of that that I had split with my brothers and sister, and, and then I, I made this, this sun porch room. We, we created this sun porch room that, that is, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful, and it reminds me of my mom. And it's so cool to be out there. I call it Beverly's Room sometimes. And and it has windows that look south, and, and the sun was so intense that I just stood, I just stood at the window, and I looked straight into the sun with my eyes closed. You don't look into the sun with your eyes open, you don't look into an eclipse with your eyes open, that's not a smart thing to do. And the sun felt so good. Can we live? Can we live with the sun shining in our faces? Can we run this race? The Bible describes us as sojourners, as immigrants, as aliens. That's how the Bible describes us. Can we run this race with joy? And I get it, sometimes life is hard. And I get it, Christmas might be lonely. And some of the loneliness is good. My parents aren't going to come back, right? And for some of us, it's a little more searing because it's a little more recent. But joy isn't about being happy. It's about pursuing the right thing and finding the right thing. Joy is living with the sun shining in our face. It's the essence of Christmas. Please pray with me. Father, we ask for joy. We pray for joy. But in asking for that thing, in praying for that thing, we acknowledge that there is a responsibility that we bear not to pretend life is okay or pretend that there are no hassles or pretend that we have it worse than we do because we don't. No, the responsibility is the personal pursuit that each of us on a daily basis can engage in when we seek your son. Father, we're unified in this space because of that single-minded desire, this pervasive sense of joy because we are seeking your Son, today and for all of our days. Father, we are grateful to be here. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.